This is The Other 51. I'm Brian, and this week, my guest is author, writer, and journalist, Will Leach. My guest this week is a writer, a journalist, an author, and somebody who is with us for the first time since the very opening days of this podcast, Will Leach. Welcome back to The Other 51. I'm honored. Thanks for having me. How's your How's your pandemic going? It is, I mean, pandemic-y as things yeah. go. Better though. I feel like it's getting slightly less pandemic-y. It's not over, to right. the imagination, but it is less pandemic-y. I right. Absol- absolutely. I mean, I'm I'm fully vaccinated. My wife is fully vaccinated. And we're Monday, lucky. Monday oh, is my two-week day. Monday is my very two-week nice, day. Yep. Very nice. Very nice. Congratulations on that. So, um, so we all had these big plans of what we were going to do when we were first fully vaccinated and like could go out. So yours two weeks is coming up. What's your big plan? You know, it's funny because uh, I feel like I've spent the last year of my life doing this, right? Like, oh, what am I going to do on the first day? I'm just going to hug everyone in sight. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go, uh, you know, eat uh, at a buffet in a poorly ventilated dimly lit area you know i say i'm gonna do all those things and it's you know i mean it's life right you know i have like a ton of stuff to do that day and tuesday morning i have a meeting so i can't stay out late on that monday like there's all sorts of like like life keeps getting in the way that i think what it really does i think we all had this like vision or fantasy that we would just there would just be this mad orgy that would happen just once like everyone was vaccinated uh fortunately i'm a bit old for that a uh <laughs> but b uh, it i think i think it's actually what's happen, going to happen is almost something better which is i i think like a lot of people i'm starting to make plans for the summer like i'm starting yes. to be like okay we can go on this trip we're gonna go to this game this movie's coming out and i'm gonna get to see it i can travel to see friends uh in in new york one of the first things i'm doing uh, well I'm, I'm hoping we'll talk about my book but i have i sold my book during the pandemic so i literally have not met my editor yet we have been <laughs> talking we have been talking like he is so sick of me and all everything i've had to yammer him but i've just literally not met him yet so like that's one of the first things i'm doing is i'm going to new york and to to, to meet my editor and see some of my old friends so uh, uh to me that's what it's about i think that uh, uh getting music shows i think will be a uh, i think that will be the sign for me when i can start like okay now i'm doing the indulgent things that i wanted to be doing uh throughout this but uh i think that's the unofficial start of that but for now i'm just uh i'm i'm living uh, i feel like my big plans are to live life the way i was living it before but with uh you know le- uh, less of a governor on Right. I think for us, for live music and uh, live theater coming back is going to be yeah. our, yeah. our big thing. I had tickets. I had tickets to that Dylan Broadway show, that uh, that one that was going to be there was an oh, awesome. Yeah. I had totally had tickets to go and then they canceled. I still they're still sitting here. Sadly, I don't think that show's ever coming back. No, I don't I think just, so. I, I think that uh, it's just the end of it. It's a, it's a shame. So what has this year been like for you as a writer and somebody who covers sports and writes about sports and life and culture um, and kind of having to do that? you know, during a pandemic, what's this, what's this whole year been like for you? Yeah. I remember in the early days of the pandemic, definitely there seemed to be this major crisis of sports journalism, right? The idea that like, if there's no sports, then what are we going to do? And I, my general attitude at the time was like, listen, this is the biggest story that any of us are ever going to live through. If I, as a sports writer or a writer or observer of anything cannot come up with like an infinite number of story ideas right now, I am in the wrong business. That right. was my kind of general thought process on it. I was very fortunate, uh, you know, certainly for the first month and a half or so, I was probably busier than I'd ever been because, you know, I, uh, I, one, I think kind of my strike zone sports writing wise is 
writing about sports to non-sports audiences. I feel like that is uh, probably my strength. It's I, it's it's kind of the place I, I like to come from because uh, listen, I, I I can read the athletic. I understand all the stories. I follow sports really really closely, but uh, I've always kind of wanted to be a little careful. You know, for me, the fun of sports is that it is a place to invest yourself fully and all encompassingly, and then you can walk away from it when it's over and it's not a big deal and you all can move on with your life. And so because of that, I've always should be careful of not that letting sports kind of take over too much of my life. And so I think that helps sometimes because I feel like I can some, uh, what's the, what's the political term? I can talk about sports with normies. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, uh, and so like in the early days of uh, the pandemic, you know, I was able to write for the, the kind of like what all this means for the sports world, for the times who obviously the times has a, had a lot of other bigger stories to cover uh, in the pandemic than sports. But then when they hit the, when they hit the, Oh Yeah. How's this affecting everything else? I feel like that's kind of where I can come in from places like there and the Times and, and I wrote a piece for the Washington Post around that time. And I was really kind of lucky to be able to do it. Uh, and, you know, it's also fun for, you know, I write for MLB regularly and it was fun to do the, okay, let's back, book back at 1981. And I just kind of like <laughs> get nostalgic a little bit, you know. Uh, and also one of the things I like writing about baseball nostalgia is uh, – Everything thought everybody thought baseball was terrible back then too. So, like, oh, really? people are, yeah, people are always complaining about baseball. To me, this is one of the great things about baseball is you know baseball will never be what it was uh, when you were fifteen, or right. so. Therefore, it's terrible. You know, the, I, I guarantee you that like if they change the game and make it a strikeout, I mean, if they make it a stolen base, '80s sort of game, that way people always complain like they want it to be now. In twenty years, uh, it's become that. In twenty years, all the kids now are gonna be like, man, back when I was young. It was just homers and walks and strikeouts. What's with this game now? And I think that's right. You know, I think one of the one of the things that's truly wonderful about baseball is that uh, uh, you know it constantly disappoints you because right. you love it so much. Like I don't feel like people are constantly getting disappointed by the NFL. They might like love to whack the NFL with like a pinata every once in a while. It usually deserves it. But baseball people like tr- people that love baseball truly love baseball, and therefore they feel like it's constantly disappointing them. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's always a good sign for baseball. I know there's a there's a lot of different topics in there but that's that's kind of how i always feel about that well it's very funny too like i remember i was teaching my sports writing class which you're speaking in next week as we record this and you know we had the big kind of what do we do when there's no sports to cover and i realized very quickly that like there's a lot to write about even when there are no games it's kind of stunning like along with just the the nostalgia pieces and the feature pieces you were talking about like when the games are going to come back, what players are doing. Like there was no, there, there was that weird crisis and like, oh yeah, there's still plenty of stuff to write about when there's not a game going on. Yeah. You know, and I have to say, I actually feel like one of the interesting things about sports and I think sports was kind of central in the way that we've discussed uh, uh, the pandemic. And I think frankly still is, is, you know, sports is not like, like most things can go on without, that's the best way to put it, without things actually happening, which is sure. to say that like, you know, you can, you can still have a banking industry. You can still have a, you can even have a movie industry in the streaming world. You know, you can have, there's all sorts of things that can go virtual in a certain way. And listen, they're not the same. I think we've clearly learned in the last year that these things are the same, but you can have a reasonable facility. Sports have to actually happen. And so one of the things I thought has been really interesting about sports is Sports, I almost instinctively, I think I always kind of hate it when people be like, well, sports is just trying to come back for the money, which, of course, is partly true, obviously, because, you know, that's just the way the world works. I always find it very strange to be like, wow, you know, if it weren't for the money, they wouldn't be playing. That is true. If it weren't for the money, 
almost nothing would be happening. I so, would not be teaching if it weren't yeah, for the money. Like, it's money. Like, listen, I, I like, I feel pride. I'm, you know, I, I, I've not chosen a career in a life where lo- uh, money is my primary uh, driver of a, uh, of the things I'm trying to do. But I also would like my family to be able to eat and understand that money is actually something that does matter in this world. And this is weird kind of denialism about that, that I always find kind of strange. Um, but anyway, uh, the, the point is that like sports have to happen. Like, sports have, like sports can't shut down for a year for a, a billion reasons and so what was interesting was sports was the first thing to start to push the envelope a little bit on coming back and i wrote this piece for new york magazine around uh, april i think it was around may of last year i think you can make a strong argument that the primary ge- uh, reason that the nba bubble and everything sports pushed to come back last year was brian kemp and I live in Georgia. I am. You're not going to find someone praising Brian Kemp to any stretch of the imagination. But what actually happened was, you know, remember famously, Georgia and Kemp were the <clears throat> were the first place to push sport to push uh, uh, haircut places to open and bowling alleys, and they were heavily mocked for all this, including by Trump, by the way. Though I think he might have just gotten confused. Um, <laughs> but um, anyway, so like it was, it was a, I mean, he was widely mocked on. But one of the things he opened were gyms, and so the Atlanta Hawks, seeing that. Went to uh, went to the commissioner Adam Silver and said, "Listen, we're not ready to go back. We're not. Re- no one's trying to push for anybody to play. But like, listen, if gyms are open, our players are going to go to them, and I think it's going to put them in more danger. If gyms are open in the state of of Georgia, can you allow us to open up our facilities to at least have a way where, our, if the players are going to train, let them do do it here? And that was the first." crack that was literally the first crack for sports starting to come back after that you started to hear like okay now the rockets and the mavericks are because texas is a little looser is talking about doing that and then it became florida going in that direction and which led to the bubble which led to everything happening so uh you know I, i i think that the you know there's an argument to be made that in 25 years or 50 years they're gonna look back at this time and be like wow it's really freaking insane that they played sports during this. <laughs> like it's, right. it's, it's, it's not off the table that that's the way that future generations are going to look back at this. But I think it is also very natural for sports to always try to come back and to push the envelope faster because they actually have schedules. They actually have schedules. Time moves faster in sports. A year of my, I always talk about this with my kids. Like I'm 45 years old. If I have a year where nothing much happens, it's not dramatically different than other years of my life around I'm 45 <laughs> years old. Like I'm not doing like there's not like oh well that was the year I was gonna I was gonna try out for the Harlem Globetrotters you know I mean like like it's, I'm 45 years old like I'm I'm kind of who I am at a certain level but with my kids this is always my argument about school like mm-hmm. a year for a kid is you know, it's a fifth of their life it's a sixth of their life I mean that I feel like I can pause. And maybe other people my age can pause, but kids can't pause and sports can't pause because a year of no Mike Trout or a year of no LeBron James or a year or forget, I mean, football players for crying out loud, their careers are so short. Anyway, the idea that there would not be this pressing urgency for sports to try to get back as quickly as possible, that was always going to happen. So I always felt it found, it was I found it really kind of disingenuous and almost like ignorant of the situation on the ground. When you hear people say like, how could sports be doing this? This is insane. I listen. Maybe it was responsible and maybe it wasn't, but like there was no way that they were going to sit this out right. for like a whole uh, a whole year or so. And I think that uh, uh, we'll see how it all turns out. I, I do not 
think, uh, outside of the initial uh, Atlanta uh, game uh, at the beginning of the pandemic. There have been a lot of super spreader events involving sports. So I, I, but we'll see. You know, this, this is still a relatively young disease. But uh, I do find it fascinating how sports – uh, uh, was interesting. I mean, look, the, I mean, the, the Indianapolis 500 is going to have 125,000 people uh, at that thing. Sports is always going to push the envelope. It's always going to be the first thing to do. And so I'm fascinated as we kind of go into this reopening back to whatever our new normal is phase. I think sports will be at the forefront of that because they've kind of been at the forefront uh, of it from the beginning. So the big news coming out of the pandemic is you have a novel coming out. I mean, that, there's other bigger news probably, but no, this that, is for, that, for our purposes, this is breaking. This is top of the line. No sports news. I don't know why I waste all that time talking about sports. <laughs> my novel. So congratulations, by the way. I, I, as I was saying uh, before we recorded, I pre-ordered it just now. Um, I was totally meaning to and just forgot until I it's literally okay. dialed it's, it it's not out yet. Like, it's not like, oh, well, you're late. Like, it's literally <laughs> not out yet. Like, I, I, if you're doing it early, you've already won. So what is I'm, – I'm curious. So the book comes out. It's how lucky book comes out May 11th. You can pre-order it wherever one pre-orders books. Um, so what's this time like for you, this kind of weeks and months that you've been writing about this in your newsletter, which is amazing, by the way. Um, and so what's this time like for you as you kind of like waiting for this book to enter the world? Yeah, you know, I feel like I've been waiting a long time. So the fact that it's landed in the pandemic is kind of fascinating. I, you know, I turned this book in based on what I wanted to do. Uh, the book is about someone who has a disease called spinal muscular atrophy, which is uh, – uh, it's a this is a very shorthand, not actually accurate, but easy for people that don't know anything about the disease to understand is to think of it almost like an ALS, except for like babies and kids. Okay. And uh, my my son, William, is nine years old and his uh, his best friend growing up. Uh, our, our mutual friends that live in, in, in Charleston, South Carolina, Lindsay and Easton David, their son Miller, about the same age as William, a couple months younger. And they hung out together all the time. And we noticed that William was able to carry weight on his legs and Miller was not. And so they're like, oh, that's kind of weird. They looked into it and he had, he had SMA. And so, uh, and so what SMA, I had always been kind of fascinated by, uh, I, I spent a lot of time working with people with SMA, spending a lot of time with Easton and Lindsay. Uh, they would do a race every year called Go Miller Go, where I'd meet all these people with SMA. And it was remarkable to me. Uh, the initial idea was uh, to kind of get uh, – it was very frustrating to me. I would talk to, to people uh, at, at these events, and just the way that people would talk to people with SMA, they were as if like there was something wrong with them mentally as, as, as much as physically because it's a devastating disease. I mean, and uh, so uh, I found that frustrating. I wanted to kind of like – I wanted to. I kind of fast. What 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 it must feel like to be that constantly kind of frustrated, and and how you would react to that as a person, and how you would how you would react to it to the world. And I also kind of want to combine that with another thing I've been thinking about, which is writing about the history of the internet. Which is to say that um, I've been online for a long, long time. But the internet is very bad now. Um, <laughs> but I don't. It wasn't always, and it doesn't have to be. And I, you know, I remember the early days of when I first got online. Just this sense of discovery. This, this sense of, of sense of not feeling alone and finding other people that were like me, which I think the web can still do at its best, but there's just so much other junk that kind of goes around it. So I had all these kind of ideas swirling around, and then uh, I decided to put it in into uh, put in the framework of a thriller because I wanted people, I wanted to almost trick them into uh, into reading about the things I actually cared about, and uh, found a good story uh, based off actually something that had happened at the University of Illinois uh, about uh, ten years, about seventy seventy years ago, and uh, kind of put that all into a stew and just sat down and just wrote it over the span of about uh, nine months. Uh, and then I met, I met my agent, David Gernert, uh, who my, I love my favorite thing about David Gernert. He's my agent. He has his own agency. Uh, so with a lot of his own clients, but he has eight clients 
uh, John Grisham and seven people who are not John Grisham. <laughs> and uh, I am one of the seven people that is not John Grisham. And so, uh, again, he has his own client. He has his own agency with a lot of clients. But but for him personally, I'm one of his, I'm one of his like, you know, one of his cute little like, hey, here, here, kid. Oh, <laughs> let's see if you got a book in here. So I told him I, I told him I wanted to meet him for dinner. And I literally just like, because I wanted to pretend like I was in Wonder Boys, I guess. I printed <laughs> out a copy of it and physically handed it to him. And he's like, wow, I didn't even know you were working on this. I said, no, I just, just see what see what you can do with it. See what you can do with it. He's like, thanks, but now I gotta carry this thing around everywhere. I was like, don't <laughs> worry. I, I have a I have a copy of Microsoft Word. I'll just send it to you. I just wanted to have my dramatic moment. And so he read it and he thought he said, I think we can do something with this. And you know, and for me, I just wanted to see it published. You know, it's it's uh, I love obviously I love writing about sports. I love writing about movies. I love writing about politics. I love writing about all these things. But you know, this was a story I wanted to tell, and I felt like I really understood Daniel, uh, who is the main character, and I really kind of like I was very moved by him and wanted to kind of tell his story correctly and um so i was okay if it was just published by the university of boise press like I, and like 20 people got it and if it had an amazon page number i'd be happy uh but i was very lucky an editor named noah eaker at uh, harper uh, uh was very excited about it and we've been very fortunate there's been uh, some very nice notices for it uh, early on uh i'm still enough of a uh there's still a little part of me that uh, feels like uh, the book world is a is a uh, uh, full of really really smart fancy people that who are going to any minute turn around and point at me and uh, and uh, invade Donald Sutherland in invasion of the body snatchers esque uh, go oh like that and realize I'm not <laughs> one of them and and expunge me uh, and they won't be wrong uh, but uh, I, I feel very I, I'm very happy with the book. Uh, it's it's kind of the purest expression of kind of what I feel about the world and I think what it can be. And uh, I hope people like it. So you didn't, um, thankfully you didn't have the Wonder Boys moment where you put the manuscript on top of the car and it blows away and it all just disappears. That's like a it. plot point. That's like a plot that happens in uh, Woody Allen, uh, Woody Allen's husbands and wives too. And like, it's a plot point from all mo- from movies up to like 2006. Right. And then you just couldn't have that plot point anymore. So <laughs> it's amazing how many movies, cause now it's just like, well, obviously you have a copy. You right. physically would have not been able to print it out <laughs> if you didn't have a copy. So that's a whole plot line that's been lost from those, uh, lost from all the stories. So speaking of the, uh, the, some of the, advance notices you getting what was the moment like when you get, found out that Stephen King blurbed it <laughs> yeah, he actually it was funny he didn't even actually blurb it because we had sent it out uh to for blurbs uh it was, to me I mean like Kevin Wilson uh who wrote uh, uh nothing to see here which is a, a new a bestseller from uh 2019 and the family fang which is a really good movie by the way they, they made out of it with Nicole Kidman and Jason Bateman he is like one of my favorite writers and so would he I didn't even I don't know him but he somehow got a copy of it and said he really liked it and decided to blurb it and then Richard freaking Russo <laughs> like yes. Richard mm-hmm. Russo the Pulitzer Prize winning novelist I, I have no idea how he got it. I mean it's another thing I don't really know a lot of novelist so so like i don't know i don't know how uh, i know a few like i'm friends with jamie attenberg who's a wonderful writer and you know, i certainly know a, a few but you know obviously i know a lot more people in sports than i do than i than i do in the world of novels and so i have no idea how they how they even got it and like richard russo wrote this really lovely book so to me i thought wow like like chris bojalian who wrote the flight attendant kevin wilson and richard freaking russo like those two people like it i feel like i am vindicated like no matter what even if everybody hates this book those two people like this so i feel like i'm I'm okay. And so those were our three major blurbs and which I think are pretty, pretty solid uh, uh, batch to say the least. And then uh, I, my email, my, my editor Noah uh, emailed me um, about three weeks, uh, about three or four weeks ago. No, it was about a month ago, about a month and a half ago. I said, uh, I said, well, he forwarded, he said, okay, this is what I would like to classify as a good email. And he had an email from Stephen King saying, 
hey, this How Lucky book you sent me is great. <laughs> and, uh, like, I'm only halfway through it. If it doesn't go to shit, that's an actual quote, by the way. If it doesn't go to shit, uh, I'd love to I'd love to help you out with it. And apparently he did not go to shit, uh, at least in the eyes of Stephen King, because uh, literally it was a Saturday. I had actually been out to dinner. Uh, we There's a great place called The National here in Athens. It has a wonderful outdoor setup. I've been out to dinner with my wife. We had a very nice night. And I had a couple glasses of wine. You know, it's been a nice night. We come home and we're settling in. And then literally this, the, the Stephen King tweets about the book and uh, it was, it was remarkable. It was truly remarkable uh, to have that happen. I mean, it's, I love Richard Russo and Kevin Wilson, Chris Bajalian, but like, I didn't like, for example, uh, steal my parents' copies of their books when I was seven years old and read them uh, in, uh, before I went to sleep at night, you know? And I mean, it's, it's Stephen King, you know? And I think that I actually, one of the things that's, that's great about Stephen King is I think there has been um, a reappreciation of him uh, over the last uh, five or 10 years, I think is long overdue and well-deserved. And so to have him who, you know, I mean, he coughs novels <laughs> to have him, to have him uh, uh, praise uh, uh, this thing was, it was mind blowing. It, re- it really was. I still haven't kind of wrapped my mind uh, around it. It definitely uh, uh, was the sort of thing where uh, it's, you know, again, Richard, like people that love books, they're like Richard Russo. Wow. But like Stephen King, I mean, like that's, that's when like your middle school English teacher sends you a message on Facebook saying you've like vindicated her career. And like, I don't even remember your class. And uh, so like, you know, it was exciting. It was, it was exciting to say the least. And, uh, uh, but I still never met him. I still like, like, it's weird. Like, I don't know how this stuff works. Cause I've, you know, I'm so kind of new to this. Uh, but like, you know, I, I, I don't like, I've never met any of the four people that blurred the book. I did. And I've corresponded with everyone, but Stephen King since then, just cause I sent them nice notes to thank them. But uh, uh, it's a, it's a weird thing. I, uh, it's, uh, it's, it's an honor, but I, I still, I still just kind of bewildering to me. So you, uh, you, you talked about how you kind of decided to write the book and the story that it, it, it comes from. I'm curious why and kind of walk me through the process, why you decided to write it as a novel rather than like as a piece of journalism or as an essay or something like that. How'd you decide to kind of take this this topic and fictionalize it in a way? You know, I've written I've written a no, I wrote a, a, a YA novel called Catch when in, in 2005. It was actually it came out it actually came out a month after Deadspin launched. <laughs> it's really <laughs> funny actually. I'd written that I'd written that in like 2000 into 2003. It came out. Uh, in in I believe October of 2005, and I remember my editor being like, uh, uh, she's like, hey, so uh, I heard you're like starting a blog. Can you like promote this on there? I was like, <laughs> sure, I don't care. No one's reading this thing. And uh, and if it came in, I'd been doing Desperate for about a month when I when when Catch came out, and uh, you know it was. Um, uh, so I I I'd had some experience writing novels before. I've never done like I didn't go to like didn't like you know, go to Yado or McDowell or any of those places. Though so I don't mean to to be dismissive of those things. I think those those things are great, and I think there's great work that's, that's produced out of there. But I I get I would get too antsy. I need to make like stuff all the time. Um, but uh, I don't need like a foosball table. Like I just need like a desk and a door to shut. Um, so you know I think that they. Uh, uh, I always, I want to get back around to it uh, was the best way to put it. I, I'd always kind of wanted, you know, until, because Are We Winning was my last book uh, until this. And that came out actually the week of my wedding, which very much irritated uh, the people that were trying to promote the book. And, um, but I, then I had kids, you know, I don't know if people have kids out there, but uh, it kind of messes with your first five years or so uh, when they get going. But I really want to get back writing books, but, you know, obviously the industry has changed a lot. But I always imagined, you know, books, some would be a novel. I'd love to write like a, 
Like I, I'd love to write like a nerdy Bill Jamesy baseball book, like just complete nerd out baseball book. I can't do it because Pazanski's writing one now. I'm sure it's right. going to be awesome, and I, so I can't. I won't be able to compete with that. But um, uh, you know, I, I, I just would love to be able to write. To me, you know, that, that's the purpose of the whole deal, right? You know, I want to. Uh, I would. I've all my guiding principle and kind of my life and career is I want to write about the things that I care about and the things that I love. And this was a story I kind of understood Daniel's voice. I understood who he was. Was. Uh, and it's something I wanted to conjure. And uh, they're very happy with this book. And I have actually have an idea for the next one that I think that they uh, want me to do. So I'll do another one. Uh, if they, And because uh, they, they seem to be optimistic enough about how this one's going. Um, that uh, it's not out yet. Uh, that now that they have your pre-order, hopefully it will push <laughs> them over the edge to do them to do another one. But uh, yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's what I, uh, I'd love to, like writing books was always, I can do it. Like writing books is one of those things that, it seems until you do one, it seems just this man, it's like climbing Everest, you know, it's just, you wouldn't even know where to begin. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but once you sit down and do it, like you just write a little here and write a little here and write a little here and then time gets going. And I find that it's easier actually to write them when you get older because you have more to do and more responsibilities, but time is different. Like time moves differently when you're older. And so you just work a little here and work a little there and work a little here. And next time you look at me like, wow, this thing's as long as a book. This is amazing. And uh, that's kind of my, my process. Like I, I, I did not outline this book first. The next book I'm going to outline a little bit more. But I did not outline this book first. This was a kind of a labor of love. You know, this was a passion project book that I just uh, – I figured again – if it was just like a tiny press or if I had to self-publish it, I didn't care. I just kind of wanted to, this is something I need to, it's just a, a story I kind of needed to tell. Um, but I'd love to do another one. I, I, I would love, I really, really enjoy writing fiction uh, because, you know, after all these years of continuing to write nonfiction, it's really fun to just make the people do whatever you want. Right. Like you can just move them over here and move them over here. Mm-hmm. Now the problem is though, is in a novel, everything has to be logical and make sense. And in the real world, nothing is logical and nothing is make sense. So I think there's always this idea. I had this idea when I started like, Oh, I'll just have the people do what I want. But like, if you look at, if you look at someone in a novel, if you look at someone in real life, and they do something irrational and absurd. You're like, wow, that person's a crazy person. Well, there's crazy people everywhere. That's the crazy thing they're doing. Mm-hmm. But if in a novel, you're like, that doesn't make sense. That is not logical. That is not right. a that's not a problem. So I, in, a, in a way, it, it helps me almost think more rigorously about things than even in some of my journalism. So you mentioned uh, getting started. And I think it was in your newsletter. You met, you uh, posted a screenshot of where, how you started this book. And it was with a character sketch, I think, of Daniel. Um, that seems like an interesting – having never written a novel – before why did you decide to start there instead of like with the story like why did why why the character starting from there because i knew who he was i okay. uh, daniel daniel was someone i'd thought about for a while to me i knew and you know i think that i think i'm curious what people's reactions to it will be because it's weird you know i find this fairly interesting again as someone that's like kind of new to this to, certainly new to this like this is my first adult novel and it's been very confusing for the marketing people by the way because they keep wanting to say debut they keep wanting to say debut author but I, I mean, right. it's my fifth book, so you can't say that. So like, okay, it's his novel debut, except there was a fiction book, but it was YA. So you end up having these weird constructions that are like, it's his adult novel debut, as if I'm writing porn <laughs> or something. And um, so it's, it's very, it's very funny because, because it's, I mean, like to hear debut novel gets people excited. Like that's like, right. that makes you feel like there's like a fresh new voice or so on. And so, so it's, it's funny to see it, watch them kind of market it. But um, anyway, so the point is that like, you know, I, uh, 
I, I, I didn't imagine there's all these different genres and like thriller is like a big genre. It's like, like just like romance and, you know, and, and, and I, I don't, I didn't, I don't think of books that way. And in the same way, I frankly don't think of movies that way. And so it was weird to see that there is a thriller aspect to this movie. There's a suspenseful story. Uh, there are mysteries. There are things that are in there. But it's not like I thought that, like, I, I'm not Agatha Christie. I am not Stephen King. You know, like, a, for me, I wanted to tell Daniel's story and the people around Daniel's story. I can, I had that first. And then I'd be like, okay, now I have to find something for them to do. <laughs> like, I need them to do something. They cannot just sit there and be like, and just be. And so uh, so that was one of the things that, that inspired me was this story that had happened at the University of Illinois a few years ago where a, uh, a woman was uh, abducted. A woman was abducted at the University of Illinois. And uh, um, and it was, a sad, it was a very sad story. But I found it, the whole thing kind of like the way it played out. This is obviously, I know Champagne very well. So I, I was kind of fascinated to kind of, I wanted to kind of tie it to that. And then, and then the story, then everything, that's when the fiction comes in. When I have the idea of what it's going to be and I have a general rough story outline, then you put them together and then everything just mixes and matches and it all becomes this this stew of ideas and things. And fortunately, I had a really good editor to kind of like streamline it and clean up a lot of stuff. And uh, as, as you know, uh, uh, as we learn every single time you see a, twi- a writer that you admire on Twitter, editors <laughs> are great. Editors <laughs> are awesome. And editors are the best. I married my editor. So yes, you know, I know call, exactly why. Call. Yeah, that's like I, I'd be very afraid. To, I'd be wary. Like I, like I'd be marrying my. That's like marrying your therapist, isn't it? That's like marrying, <laughs> yeah, like I feel like that's. I, I, I guess I, I, I to me it is funny though because like I did the acknowledgments page for my book, and it's funny. My editor was like, "Wow, you like you literally put a whole paragraph thanking your editors at the various publications that you write for." And I'm like, "Yes, make your editors happy." <laughs> like I was, I was talking to Tim Grierson who I do the, po- the movie podcast with, and we were just talking about how, and also like you know my best friend since middle school, and we were talking about how. You know, basically, who are who do we write for? And I have the idea of like an imaginary audience, but in the short term, it's I'm I'm just like trying to give my editor what they want. I just want to make them happy, and if I do that, then uh, I've I've discovered in my career, if you make your editors happy consistently, they give you more freedom to do more things that are a little weirder and more personal. And uh, I feel like that strategy has generally been successful. So you kind of mentioned it a little bit, how you kind of wrote a little bit here and wrote a little bit there, but like you write like a billion words a week for like 87 different publications, maybe not that much, but you're, you're very prolific on a weekly basis. And I'm just wondering how you, I know you're incredibly organized and disciplined and we've talked about that before. How do you fit a novel into that? And maybe what advice do you have for young writers, new writers, students, any me to be more disciplined and kind of more organized in your work to be able to do stuff like this? You know, for the book, it was fine because, you know, I, what I, particularly when I really got into the, the nitty gritty of the book, I would do it. Not only would I do it in the, I would siphon off. I would get all my other work done for the day. Like whether it was MLB piece or New York magazine piece, I would just, there would be like, that would be completed. And, and, and also not even to a point where an editor, like there's a lingering question that an editor might have, it had to be completed. And then I would leave my usual writing station. I I, I have a, I love my little writing office in my home. I would physically leave it. I went to the Jittery Joe's coffee shop here in, in Athens and I would, and I use the freedom app. Not everyone uses the freedom app, but the freedom app will shut down you the, you're the internet to your computer it okay. will shut it down so so you can write it. and i would just go there and then i could be in an entirely different headspace i think it helped it helped me write about someone write like someone who wasn't will leach if that makes sense and uh 
but it, I, you know, I feel like so much of not just writing, but anything is tricking yourself out of not doing something is the best way to put it. And it can be stressful. Like I get it. You know, I hear people say like, wow, I, I mean, it's really stressful to, I don't like having all this stress with all these deadlines. I'm like, yep. I know they're hard. Mm-hmm. It'd be much easier to do nothing. It would be much easier <laughs> to do nothing. It would be so much easier. I think about this all the time. You know, when I have like a big piece, I wrote this, uh, uh, this uh, feature story about more than a vote, uh, LeBron James uh, 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 voting rights organization for New York Magazine uh, about a month ago, a month and a half ago. And it was a huge piece. It's like a 5,000 word piece and it required all these interviews and all of this and all of this research and all of this time. And I had all that done and then I had to sit down and write it and I was dreading it. And for the record, I love writing. <laughs> like, I love writing, mm-hmm. but I was absolutely dreading because it becomes, because it's natural when you have something huge like that. This comes back to the book idea, right? Like if you have something huge like that and that massive thing, if you just think of it like, wow, I have to finish this massive thing, it will p- paralyze you. Mm-hmm. And so uh, it, it would be, so, it, I mean, honestly, it would, I guarantee you, I would have like been much more relaxed and less stressed if I would have, played a video game in that time or i would have gone for a walk and those things are i'm not saying you can't do those things i do those things those things are all great but like it's weird when people are like well yeah it's really hard to like to 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 do it because it's really stressful and hard yep it (laughs) is it totally is but that's what's worth it right yeah that to me that that's what's worthwhile is putting in that time to do it and so you know it, 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 it requires tricking yourself it's the best way to put it it just requires tricking yourself into thinking that this thing that is stressful and difficult and pro and not nearly going to pay you uh, for, for the amount of time that you're putting into it and uh, puts yourself out there on the line in a way that people will criticize it or say that they don't like you or, or, uh, or maybe no one will buy it and maybe no one will like it. Uh, all of these doubts and fears that everybody has when they do everything, the trick is to trick yourself into thinking that those things are not true. <laughs> and that's, that's the only way I know to do it. And, uh, uh, and so, you know, for me, uh, uh, I, I, but just in a practical sense, I would finish everything else first, and then I would go. It's funny. I had this joke with Matt Myers, who is my editor at MLB, uh, where when we were getting close to where, like, I was getting close to finishing the book, and I and I, I famously I have not taken a week off in like a week off, like a vacation or like a week off since 2014. <laughs> and, and I, and don't worry, I'm, I'm going to try to do it this, this fall. I'm going to Spain this fall. This is one of my post pandemic resolutions. Uh, but even when I, I've gone away, I've gone on trips. I just always work during them. <laughs> I just always work them Cause I feel like I, I just don't feel right. If I'm not doing something, I'm literally scratching my arm as I, as I'm saying this to you. Uh, so like, I, I, I feel like I've got to be doing something, but there was this grand joke I had with man. I was like, okay, the book's almost, I'm going to need, uh, there's going to be, a week coming up here but i'm just gonna take the week off and i'm not gonna work this week and he's like dude you've like you've got you've got like five years of vacation stored up just let me know when you want to do it and do it and then i just never did it <laughs> i just never did it and uh, so you know i think that uh uh I, i'm not saying you have to be like that uh, and i'm and I'm not saying that if a, if a corporation you work for tries to make you do that, tell them to shove it. Like I'm not <laughs> saying that, but I am saying that like you know the way that I work, uh, I. I'm writing for me and I'm writing to, to, uh, to what the, I'm writing to assuage pressures that I put on myself. And I feel like that is, that is the best way to do it. If, I'll put this way, if an editor ever contacts me and says, Hey, where's that piece? Um, uh, I've done something terribly wrong because uh, I, I, no one's going to be meaner and no one's going to be tougher on deadline uh, than I am with myself. So I, I always ask my guests this. So I'll ask you, what's the best thing you've read lately? 
Uh, I'm actually going back. It's funny. I've been going back and reading. Um, I've been going back and reading uh, Kevin Wilson's books because okay. he, I mean, he's, he's hosting my uh, he's hosting my uh, launch reading uh, my launch event uh, over Zoom because bookstores are not yet open. Most are not yet open, so there is no tour. Which I want to is sad. Though the the payback comes back in March, comes out in March, so we'll be able to do it then. But uh, on the other hand, you know, now everyone can go. You can all, right. We can all visit. Kevin Wilson is is graciously. Uh, co-hosting this event with me and i it's been a few years i read nothing to see when it came out but it's been a few years since i've read all of them i have to say like if you get a chance just read kevin wilson's book he is a book he is the funniest guy he's absolutely funny and like going back and just going back and reading those has been a reminder of like a i'm pretending to be a novelist <laughs> some people are actually novelists so i'm kind of pretending to be a novelist uh but uh that that has been has been a very satisfying thing to to, to, to read and it's, I'm getting caught up in books one of my dirty secrets as, an, as someone that writes that wrote a novel is going to write another one I just I don't like I, I there are like to me this is the amazing thing about Stephen King um, uh, the thing about like Stephen King picks up new books and by people he does not know and just randomly starts reading them like that is the sign of someone that loves deeply love books like for me to get to a, the time I, but for me to get to a point where i'm reading a novel it has to have been recommended by everyone <laughs> and then we ha- and then i have to like and then i have to I, a lot of times it helps if i know the person or know someone connected to the person like i'm and that's something i'm trying to get better at because uh it, i love it like i just love it. i just you know i make a there's a lot of baseball to watch a lot of movies to right. watch, <laughs> a lot of things going on so uh i as much as i like to do everything i eventually am constrained by the number of hours in the day all right. So, okay. I'll put a link to uh, Kevin Wilson's books uh, in the show notes. I can recommend uh, The Shakespeare Requirement by Julia Schumacher. Uh, wickedly funny book. It's admittedly academic fiction. So it's like based in an English department of a college. So probably a niche audience that won't be as funny to some people as it is to me, but just wickedly done. So I can recommend that for a very quick, fun read. So oh, that sounds great, actually. So, uh, all right. The book is out May 11th. You can pre-order. Is, is it better to order, pre-order it anywhere specifically? Amazon, independent bookstore, the, your place in Athens? Does it matter? I, I mean, it, it, it matters to the world. Uh, like uh, you, you should support your local bookstore if you get the opportunity. Uh, but, you know, I also it's weird. I think there's this sense. Listen. I, I'm aware of Amazon's issues in the world. They're they're not a good place. Uh, they're, they're they're taking things over. I understand that, um, and you know, and I do my best at every opportunity to shop local, particularly when it comes to books, when I can. I also am not going to shame people for like. I mean, it's hard to get people to buy books. Right. Like the idea that like that you're that you're going to go to someone and be like, oh, like someone asked me if I should if if someone's ordered if if uh, to tell people that if they pre-order the book on Amazon for them to cancel it and order it through the local bookstore. I'm like, I can't believe I got you to do the first thing in the <laughs> first place, let alone the, the second thing. So I understand, like I get it. I I I think if in a vacuum. Order it from your local bookstore uh, and uh, and support them who have been through a difficult time. But uh, you know, if you want to buy the book, I'm I'm honored that you would grab it. Have your word. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna scold you. Awesome. Well, this is looking forward to reading it. This has been great. Will, thanks again for joining me. Appreciate it. An honor, man. I, see, it's, it's I have to say, this is a good practice to soiling the minds of your students. Yes, uh, here pretty soon. This will be very fun. <laughs> it's it's the uh, it's the warm up act for that. I appreciate exactly, that. Exactly. Hey, I, I, you, you, hopefully, hopefully they'll sound. Uh, uh, you, you didn't sound bored, but I bet they're going to. <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot, Will. Thank you. Thanks for listening to The Other 51. Show notes for this and all of our episodes can be found at sportsmediaguide.com by clicking on The Other 51 tab. 
If you like the show, please consider giving it a rating and a review, either at Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help people find the show. Our theme music is by Ellie Moritz. <laughs>